Well, amen, and again, good morning. Um, it's good to see everyone here today. We are, uh, we have been working through the book of Matthew and being very blessed uh, by it. Um, something we need to always remember, starting, I think it was in the 10th chapter, um, we, we begin to see that Matthew, this ministry we see in Matthew is primarily to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, he called the 12. Um, we know later he would even send out more than that, but he certainly called the 12. He empowered them. Um, and then uh, through much of what we've been seeing over the last few weeks, we've been seeing something of a run-up uh, to Jesus' final and triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which is going to happen here um, in, a, in, a, in a short time. We'll be, we will certainly be talking about in the next few, uh, next few months. Um, during this time, Jesus had a sort of a, um, a foray into, as we talked about before, into the Gentile land where he had some very meaningful experiences with the Gentiles. Um, and there was the feeding of the multitudes, the 5,000, the 4,000. And in the midst of all this, we've seen some great confessions. The confession of the Apostle Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's something of a great high point in all the Gospels, this confession. I, we see it. We know who you are. Who are you? Uh, who do the people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The Christ, the Son of the living God. There's Jesus' confession of the cross and the resurrection. And there's the Father's confession that we saw last week in the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. But it's not all what we want it to be. Certainly in the midst of that great confession in Caesarea Philippi, um, Peter's confession that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus starts to explain what has to happen here. Um, Peter kind of rebukes and says that can't happen. And so we see these kind of um, ups and downs. We see this faith, but as we're going to see today, this uh, little faith or this uh, lack of understanding faith. And like we said last week, we had the glorious transfiguration where we see something of the glory of Jesus as he always is, but they actually got to see things. And there he's communing with um, uh, Moses and with Elijah, and we know what they were even were talking about, this thing called the cross. And he went up on a high mountain, and some think because you're right there in that area of Caesarea Philippi, that may be actually Mount Hermon there. Um, you know, if you want to look at all the mountains in the area of Israel, they all, they're doing pretty good if they get up around 2,500 feet. Um, this was like over three and a half times that size. And that might be what was a very high mountain. Um, some of the commentators say this may have even been in the mountain when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. Um, in the midst of the wilderness, of course, he tempts him with food and bread, turn the stones into bread. Jesus is not going to do that. Then he takes him to Jerusalem and puts him up on the top of the pinnacle. And then he says, jump off. And the angels will grab you and everyone's going to know who you are. And Jesus says, not going to happen. And then it says he takes him to the very high mountain, and some think that's Mount Hermon because that sort of a, has a long history of sort of being able to see the nations of the world from there. And then Jesus comes down the mountain. And of course, he comes down into what is normal life. And so that brings us to our text today. So let's all stand together. We are going to pray, and then we're going to read Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray this morning that even as we see the glory of Christ in the transfiguration, we see the, in the glory of Christ in the midst of a fallen world. It is the same glory. We want to see them both. 
We ask that we see it in your word and we're made better by it because our faith is stronger. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bury with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. The church, the grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but this is the word of God and it will stand forever. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As we read our text there, you will note that there are brackets around verse 21. If you read from your hard copy, if you have a New America, or if you have an ESV Bible or even an NIV Bible, I think it's omitted altogether. Uh, my ESV goes straight from verse 20 to verse 22, as does my um, new international version. The ESV is the one we use the most here. The NIV is the one that mo most Christians use nowadays. If you have the, and, and that's because um, it'll say in the margins that that text where, um, where he says that this kind cannot go out except by um, prayer and fasting, says that's only in much later manuscripts. And the earlier manuscripts doesn't have it, have it, and so it was it was added later. Now, if you have a King James version or a King a New King James version, you'll have it there just as part of the text because the King James version uses a lot of manuscripts that are much later than the NIV, the ESV, and the New American Standard. If you have the New American Standard. It's in brackets, and that's why I had asked our, our brother to um, um, give us the ESV, but then he had to go to the New American Standard and sort of put that up there so we could all read it together. Now, what most people suspect, those who do the commentaries and, and whatnot, they suspect, um, because Matthew actually has the words, this kind cannot be driven out by any, I'm sorry, Mark, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, they think somewhere along the line, one of the scribes, as they often did, they would write stuff in the margins, and over hundreds of years, it kind of got sucked in there. Matthew probably didn't say it, um, but Mark did. And then somewhat later, a monk, um, who, who monks are into fasting, he kind of added the fasting part later there. But most of the commentators think that that line um, uh, in Matthew is where it says, this kind comes out except by anything but prayer and fasting, probably was not in Matthew's original context. He didn't need it there. He is saying the kinds of things. But clearly on the occasion, from Mark's account, we can see Jesus said it. Um, nobody disputes Mark's account of what it does. And his was simply that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so um, because it, Matthew, it's consistent with other things Matthew says, and because it was on the occasion, we will certainly include that as part of our exegesis um, this morning. So let's go to verse 17, verses 14 through 16 again. 
And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples. They could not heal him. Um, again, we could go to Mark. We get a little more of kind of what goes on. Uh, you kind of get this picture that Jesus is up on the mountain. He's in, you just got this most glorious time in the midst of his ministry. He comes down. It's almost like a run because he's going to Jerusalem to die. And he's going to mention this a number of times. It's really going to be hard to get through the mindset of the disciples. But when they come down right now, he comes, as one man says, into the very putrid goo of this demon-infested world that he came to save. But, of course, that's the plan. God so loved the world that he does send his son. It says in Mark's account that when he comes down, there's a lot of arguing is going on, and the reason is because there's a bunch of scribes there. And so you have both the situation of the demon-possessed guy and having the son whose son was demon-possessed since he was a child, so he's probably older at this point. And they're not able to deliver the man, and so the scribes are getting in there, and there's all kinds of challenges going on. And it's not a whole lot unlike Moses, as we shared last week when we talked about uh, how um, Jesus' experience on um, the Mount of Transfiguration is supposed to track with Moses and even Elijah. And you're supposed to think this is the new Moses. And even as Moses comes down the mountain, after seeing the glory of God, he's got the two tablets, and they hear singing. First, they, jo Joshua says, I think I'm hearing this noise. It's a battle cry or something. Moses said, no, 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 it's singing. And when they showed up, it's like the worst service, worship service everywhere. Everybody's dancing around this golden calf. And the mediator of the covenant sees the people given to idolatry, and there's anger. And so here we see the crowd runs up to Jesus, and the man speaks to Jesus. He says, my son, he has seizures. Some of your versions will say um, he, he has epilepsy or has an epileptic fit, and that just comes from looking at the description of some of the things that are said there. Um, uh, but this is quite clear. That's not what this is talking about. In fact, again, the New American Standard, they'll take the translation. I think the ESV says seizures. Um, the NASB says that he is a lunatic. Um, and we think of lunatic one way, but in the old days, I think literally it's the word he was moonstruck. And the idea was that he was acting wrong, abnormally. It was just sort of a thing that covered everything. But he was absolutely sure there was a spirit here. And the spirit was particularly um, um, evil in that he would often, um, when he's near fire, he would have these fits or near water. It would be trying to destroy him. And he says, they talked to him, you know, they came, they said, I brought him to you, but the disciples were, and they could not cure him. Ironically, it's not a whole lot different than we saw with the Canaanite woman just a few weeks ago when Jesus healed the woman's demon-possessed daughter. You know, in one sense, over these two weeks, what we're getting opportunity to do is see is two transfigurations. We get to see what the glory of God looks like in the perfect humanity in Jesus Christ. Light, brightness, um, obedience, purpose, wholeness, Christ in glory. But we also, in this Hebrew young man, we get to see the destiny of all of us, ultimately apart from Christ. You know, in the transfiguration, we don't only see the glory of Christ, but we really see something of our future. You know, in the great high priestly prayer that Jesus does in John 17, 
He says, Father, you, 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 I've had the glory from, you know, I've, had, you've, I've glorified you, you've glorified me. Now return me to the glory that I had from the beginning of the world, from before the world began, and I'm giving them the glory. And the great line of, 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 of Romans chapter um, 28, where it talks about this sort of this chain of, 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 of glory that we're given, we're, we're, we're called, we're justified. Um, at the end it says we're going to be glorified. And so there's this picture in which we're saying, see, what humanity ought to be in Christ and will be that are in him and what is left to itself it will become. And so John says in one place, the three thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And this is what the demon-possessed people look like. But I have come that I might give them life and give it abundantly. So Jesus responds to this in verse 17. He says, and Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Some are kind of surprised at sort of the frustration here. He's with the Canaanite woman. He hears the same thing, but he has sort of a different kind of response. But here he's come down, and he, it's almost like, um, I mean, you get a real frustration here, but this is not alien to what you see in the Old Testament. Jesus is not only Moses coming down the mountain, he's God coming down the mountain. And there's a reason that this stuff is echoed throughout the prophets of the Old Testament and even certainly Moses. How long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? I think it's severe, so severe because it's not just these unbelieving masses of people and the disciples not quite knowing what to do with it. Um, they're going to be corrected, but the rest are being condemned. But you got the blind leading the blind, he talked about with the scribes and the crowd. Look with me what Moses says in Numbers 14. Uh, Moses um, um, is, 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 has tried to send the children into the promised land. He sent the spies and they came out. They heard the negative report and the people whined and complained. They grumbled. And finally God had some things to say. He said, but truly, God says, I, as I live and as all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, where, where are we at here? Yeah. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumbling against this, against, uh, of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. And earlier on, he actually says, how long have you been doing this? How long am I going to last for you? Will I continue working with you? And so they would have heard Moses with this. And not only that, um, he, he, he calls them a crooked and a twisted generation. And again, that's not just simply a, defini- a, a sort of description of how bad they are. They would have heard this in the history of Israel. Um, again, for Moses, um, God comes to him at the end of Deuteronomy and he says, listen, you're going to die soon. You're going to be with the fathers. You need to put the law, put some things in order, get the law on the tablets and give it to the, the priests and the Levites. But then he says also this, these people are going to turn away from me. When you're gone, it's going to be downhill from that point on. But he said, ultimately, there's going to be a terrible generation in the midst of this. So you need to write a song so that they will sing the song as a witness against them. And so he wrote a song. It's called the Song of Mo- Moses in, in uh, Deuteronomy 32. And a couple of its verses say this. Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. They have dealt corruptly with him. They have no longer his children because they, have, they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children and whom is no faithfulness. 
You can think faithfulness being a, 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 a generation that is faithless, meaning they do not cling to God, and now because of that, they're being twisted. How much can we really apply that to just about any generation? Certainly ours, as we fall away from God and the twistedness that, comes, that we begin to see. But for Je- Jesus, that generation Moses was talking about was his generation. So he goes on, and he says, let's go on to verse eight, uh, 17, verse 18. And he says, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Certainly the ministry of demon exorcism. You know, it's interesting. The Old Testament scriptures don't talk a whole lot about these kind of exorcisms of being part of the messianic age. Um, it wasn't really written in a lot of the first century Jewish expectations of the Messiah. It's certainly rooted in Adam's confrontation with the serpent in the garden. Adam's job was to drive the serpent out. That's not what Adam did. The new Adam is in, in a sense, the new garden, Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey, and he's casting out demons wherever he goes, but they're just all over the place. And certainly the battle here, the real battle, is spiritual. It's not just against flesh and blood, but ultimately the victory is going to be won in Christ and the cross and the resurrection. Remember Jesus said earlier in Matthew 12, he says, but if by the Spirit of God, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I, come out, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. For Jesus, that central definition was that he was going to cast out demons as a sign that the kingdom of God is here. And then Luke 10, uh, 10, 18. You know, the disciples come back and they're excited because the demons are doing what they tell them to do. They're casting them out. And here's his interpretation. He says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he sees this is happening in his ministry. You know, they expect demons, monsters from the abyss among the pagans and the Gentiles. In fact, the Old Testament is filled with the Gentile nations being seen as these demonic powers. But not in Israel. But Jesus, as the true Adam, he cast Satan out of the garden. We need to understand that there is this evil animus against Christ and it's rooted in Satan. That's why very early in the ministry, the entire, he starts out with, he comes out of, when it comes out of his, the birth narrative, he's all, and, and uh, he starts doing a few things out there, but he's, he's driven into the garden where he has a showdown with Satan um, into the wilderness, in the wilderness where he is tempted. Satan hates the image of God in us. And that's why he wants to destroy us and destroy ultimately Jesus' mission. His attempt is to get Christ off mission. So that we end up like the demons. Christ wants a humanity that we can call the body of Christ. Going from glory to glory that's fit for the presence of God. Satan wants it as called essentially the body of sin and death. Degraded, shamed, going from corruption to corruption. Hell being the only fit place for it. What the disciples were trying to do, and they did it imperfectly, and what Jesus did perfectly, but at individual times, it's not going to be fully accomplished until the cross. As Paul says, when God disarms the rulers and the authorities, making a public display of them, having triumphed over them in Christ. 
But the disciples asked some questions, why things couldn't happen, which seems reasonable. Let's go to verses um, 19 and 20. Now, when the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have a faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So the decision, they come to him privately afterwards, they often do. Why didn't it work? I mean, you do remember at the commissioning, Jesus gave them authority over these things, and they had cast a bunch of them out. But not this time. And Jesus says, because of your little faith. And there's certainly a play on the word, the idea of smallness. Little faith, faith of a seed of a mustard. How are you making this distinction? He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a mustard, a grain of mustard seed, which sounds like little faith, say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will happen. Nothing will be impossible for you. Generally, the commentators of one form or another have come to some kind of conclusion of that. They had very little understanding of faith. Again, the, the, the generation is being condemned. But these guys are now being corrected because they have to know more about the plan that's getting ready to come down. This is a long-term work of God. It begins with the apostles. But part of the problem with the apostles, they kept thinking, this is all going to finish real soon. And it's not. It's going to continue to us, those who are the inheritors of the doctrine of the apostles. The Lord's Prayer and the disciples of the nations have to be done, but it wasn't going to be done overnight. It wasn't going to be done quickly. It's going to be done. It's a long work of the church of God. It's not a sprint that's going to end in the first century but it's an endurance race. He who endures to the end will be saved. This kind, really all kinds, are going to come out through a praying church and a God who is pleased to give us the kingdom, as Jesus says. I hope you all picked up some of the things in that answer because we've heard them before and we'll hear them again. No, this is not the first time we've heard the reference to a mustard seed, and that's not an accident. And it's not going to be the last time that he refers to this mountain. Remember back in chapter 13 when he's talking about the various parables. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's small. But fear not. It's going to be great. One day, it's going to be a tree bigger than all the other plants in the garden, and literally all the birds are going to come nest under its wings. And the idea is here, the nations are going to come to the kingdom and benefit from the shade of the kingdom. It's going to be small, it's small now, but it's going to be great. It's going to grow incrementally, even as leaven. And one day, it's going to fill the earth with glory, as God, as, as God says, as the waters cover the sea. So the size of the seed's not the issue, but it is the nature of the seed, the very word of God. How appropriate that wonderful stands in the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, 
for lo, his doom is sure, not by lots of this and that, but literally one little word, one word the size of a mustard seed shall fell him to bring him down. Later, and we'll hear about this within a few months, Jesus goes up to the Temple Mount, which has really now become sort of the center of opposition with him, and it's just within a few days before his crucifixion. And he does a great miracle in which he exhibits the fruitlessness of, of Israel, and the disciples are amazed. He says, how is this going to happen? How, do, how are we able to do this? And Jesus gives them an answer. Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22. And Jesus answered them. And look how many of these things we were hearing sort of cross into this that we already looked at this morning is going to cross into this verse. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And hear this. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. He said this life of prayer is going to do this as, as we stay linked to God. As the disciples did it in the first century and all the disciples have done it since that time. And so that's what brings us to the last verse. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In a very short time, Jesus is going to be gone. And they're going to have mountains to move. And if you look at that scripture, there are mountains that need to be moved. Look what we have to deal with. The kingdom of God has to come on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God on earth as it is in heaven. We have to see the life of the Sermon on the Mount lived out among God's people and the nations. They were going to have to endure the coming judgment upon Israel, but all the nations. The nations, they were called to go out and disciple the nations. How do you, how do you hear that at the very end? Go out, authority has been given to me, go out and make disciples of the nations. And I think in light of what we read this morning, we need to remember Jesus' admonition when he, in the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke's account, after he finished with the Lord's Prayer, he adds a little bit more to it. And there may have been a lot more things said, but these are the things that the various gospel writers bring out. And he gives the example of persistent prayer. And people who get things because they, they remain persistent. And finally he says, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. For what? The kingdom of God. For God in his spirit to come upon the earth. And he says, ultimately, it is for the kingdom of God, for he will give, it says, the Holy Spirit for those who ask. And so, church, this is our encouragement today, that we ought not to grow weary. We ought to understand that we ought need to stay connected with our God through our prayers, certainly through our actions, but we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we look for the kingdom of God to come, and we are in the long game. We don't go, where, where is God today, but rather in his time he will bring his kingdom. He says he gladly desires to give the kingdom to his people. And so that is our encouragement today as we study God's word and we study this particular scripture. Um, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Um, 
We thank you, you sent your son. We thank you for the plan that he has for his people. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the gift of endurance. How often the Apostle Paul exhorted to the church to endurance um, and persistence. And we do pray for that, particularly in our lives of prayer. That our prayers are not simply, Lord, get me through this, but thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask this um, to grow within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.